Okay. You can turn back to Matthew chapter 18. So at this point, I'm basically just calling this week two of our Reconciliation Trilogy, because we're going to have basically three weeks where I'm going to talk a whole lot about reconciliation, a whole lot about what do we do, how do we get back together once things have been broken. Uh, last week, we focused a whole lot on, on how somebody who's been sinned against should approach the situation where somebody's done something to them, somebody's uh, kind, of, kind of done something that's come between you. You have some sort of, you know, sin or some sort of... Uh, weird relationship problem that's kind of resonating between you and, and you, you, you know that I want this to be gone. I want reconciliation more than I want to just let this linger. And we talked a lot about, about why and how we're supposed to go to our brothers and our sisters and, and seek reconciliation by being willing to call them to account, call them to repentance for sin that they've committed so that we can all get back together on the same page. So that we can all, again, be, be unified around the gospel and unified around our mission as the church. And this week we're going to continue to look at how those kinds of severed relationships, those kinds of sin-broken relationships continue to be restored. But this time we're going to look at it a bit more from the perspective of the person who has been um, bringing the charge against the sinful brother or sister. And we're going to talk about what's their response when you come to them and they repent. So this week we're going to spend a lot of time talking about forgiveness and it seems really easy and if you watch the VeggieTales version on, on forgiveness, it seems really easy, but if you've ever been in a situation where somebody has sinned against you in some sort of crazy way or some way that, that, that hurt you like at your core, then maybe this is going to be something that you have to think about and maybe something that you have to revisit in your life. And maybe you're going to, as I'm talking this morning, be thinking about, here's this one person that I've been unwilling to be reconciled with, even though they have apologized to me, even though they have repented, even though they've shown that they want to mend this broken relationship. Maybe I've continued to push them away because I don't think they are deserving of forgiveness. So be thinking about those relationships in your life, maybe that still need mending. I said that at the beginning last week, but continue to think that way. Um, think about... Maybe what would cause you to be resistant to forgiveness if somebody sinned against you? Because we're going to look at a couple of different examples. Uh, Peter's going to help us really kind of get in the mindset of a person who struggles with forgiveness. Uh, so if you're in Matthew chapter 18, uh, I'm just going to start by reading verses 21 and 22. So this is immediately after Jesus has explained to the disciples uh, what the process is for restoring a brother who sinned against you. So it says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Some of you may have a translation that says seven times seven times. And if you watched uh, God Wants Me to Forgive Them, which is the VeggieTales version of this story, they make sure to tell you in a really awesome southern voice, that's 490 times. In case you were making sure I could still do math, 490 times. But, that, but that's, that's not the point. So Peter has heard this, this discussion addressing sin, talking about restoration and repentance and reconciliation and getting back together. And, and I think Peter's follow-up question is really important. Because all of their lives, the disciples have been brought up in this culture where 
forgiveness comes from a God of grace, but a God of grace who instituted this sacrificial system. You do this thing, you offer this sacrifice, you are given this forgiveness, right? And, and, it had, and, it, and it came from this kind of mechanical response. I did this thing, the price for this is X. The price for this is Y. The price for this is whatever it may be. You go to the temple, you offer your sacrifice, you're forgiven, everything's good, we move on. But, but over time, within Judaism, there had kind of come up this tradition where over time, the priests would stop accepting sacrifices. Uh, they had this saying that was like, if he repents one time, you forgive him. Two times, forgive him. Three times. Once he gets to four, he's obviously not changing. We're not going to accept his sacrifice anymore. He doesn't get to go through the sacrificial system because this person is just continually existing in sin. I'm sure that at some point we've all kind of experienced that mindset. Well, I can do this because I know God's going to forgive me. I know all I have to do is repent and it'll be good. So I can still do this and I can kind of, and I can kind of treat God as my, again, kind of get out of jail free. Like I can go to him, I can say, you know what, God? I did sin. Will you forgive me? Feels great to be forgiven. That's great. You know what? I think I'm going to do that again because now I know that God's going to forgive me. And at some point I would venture to guess that most of us have approached some sort of sin with that mindset. Trusting, like, like taking for granted the fact that God says he loves us and he wants to forgive us, so we're going to just go on sinning just because we feel like we've got this way to get out because God's promised us that he will forgive us. And, and, the, and the disciples are familiar with this mindset that, that after three times, you don't really get forgiveness anymore. The priests don't accept your sacrifice anymore. And so, in a sense, what, what Peter's saying when he comes to Jesus He's actually offering something that's above and beyond the cultural norm for amount of times to forgive somebody who's sinned against you. So really, and you can look at that number that he says, how many times? Seven times? Because if you think back to the significance of numbers in Scripture, in their culture, seven's like the number of completion. Like, that's like the perfect number that I could offer to, to forgive somebody. And he's saying, should I, should I forgive him this many times? And he's like, he's like doubling over what what's normally required for forgiveness. And I think it's easy to look at this quick interaction between Jesus and Peter and think, there goes Peter again, just taking a guess, and he's sticking his foot in his mouth. But really, Peter's being very generous for what he's been raised in, for what he understands. And so he's saying, Jesus, should I forgive somebody seven times? That seems like a lot. That's probably a good number. And Jesus' response you know, I, I, my version says 77 times. Yours might say seven times, 70 times. The point is not the number in Jesus' response. This is the first time um, in this section, he's going to do it again, that Jesus is going to use hyperbole, which, by the way, is the greatest teaching device ever created by man. There it is. Good. Thank you. Uh, Sorry, I liked that. I felt really good about that. So Jesus is going to use the greatest teaching device possible, hyperbole, to give an example. So what he's saying, he's trying to give them a number that seems unthinkable, unheard of. Like, that's an astronomical figure. Like, Jesus is like, how many times should I forgive this guy? And Jesus is like, more times than you can count to. Like, that's that's what Jesus is trying to communicate to people. Jesus is saying, this seems generous, but, but in your heart should be such a desire to be reconciled to your brother that you will continue to forgive him as many times as he continues to sin against you. 
we, and what he's suggesting is that we should become a people not interested in placing limits. Like, we, we, we tend to think very finitely. Like, we tend to think, what, how far am I supposed to go with this? What's the most generous that I'm supposed to be? What's the number that I'm supposed to be on the amount that I'm supposed to give this person? Like, where's the cap? We tend to think, what's the, what's the safe place, the stopping point for us to be? Where's the line that I'm supposed to draw? And Jesus is saying, there is no line. We should be a people not interested in placing limits. But rather, we should become a people who's known for our willingness to forgive and be reconciled no matter what. No matter how many times this process happens over and over and over again. No matter how, many, no matter how great the sin may seem to be, Jesus is beginning to establish this idea that that we should so, again, and I said this last week, we should desire reconciliation above everything else. So when it's somebody that sinned against us, we should desire reconciliation higher than being afraid of having an uncomfortable conversation with somebody that could result in severing that relationship or having some sort of really difficult conversation. We should rather be reconciled and unified together as the body Right? Because again, remember who Jesus is talking to in this section. It started with him saying, your brother, your sister, like a believer, a fellow believer. If there's somebody who is saved that is seeking your forgiveness, he's saying you give it to him however many times you have to because you should desire to be in this together, to be reconciled together above everything else. That's what you're really driven by. Unity, reconciliation being together on the same page. And so the natural question, and this is probably what informed Peter's original question, um, because the reason Peter would come to Jesus with this question is, but but people keep sinning. What do I do if people keep sinning? Why, Why is it worth continuing to forgive my brother or sister if they just keep living in this sin? Right? Why should I still desire to forgive them? Why should I still desire to be around them? What what motivation do I have? That just seems like I'm kind of spinning my tires and we're getting nowhere. Feels like we're stuck in one place. Why why worry about that? Well, I think Jesus' next parable is going to kind of answer that question, kind of inform us as to that. So if you'll go back to verse 23... And it probably would have been nice if I broke these up on the screen for you. I didn't think about the fact that I had them broken up, but anyways. So Jesus says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servant. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, 
You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So we got to kind of get in mind what we're like, like the scale that we're talking about here, um, because because when we read the number, the amount of money that these two servants owed, it's like obviously this guy owes more than this guy. But but what is it? What what are we really talking about? What kind of numbers is Jesus using? And I'm not going to get like my com- a couple of my commentaries really got into the math and broke down. Well, based on this hourly wage, that we would assume that they would probably and they went into all of this detail. I'm not going to get into all of that, but, but suffice it to say, uh, the first servant who went to the master and the master said, pay your debt, owed somewhere between two and a half and one hundred billion dollars. Like, that's the number that Jesus is using here. And you're thinking, how could he have accrued a debt of two and a half to one hundred billion dollars? And that's exactly the point. Again, Jesus is trying to make a point by using hyperbole, by using something that seems so crazy, so outlandish, to really get their attention. Nobody has that much money. How could he rack up that much debt? That seems impossible. Right? I was trying to think of, of different kinds of debt that we all could kind of relate to. And I mean, I would, again, I would guess that most of us have been in some sort of debt at some point, whether it's we bought a car or we bought a house or you bought, I don't know, a couch. I don't know. What, what are things that people go into debt over? School, see, that's the thing. My mom worked at school, so I didn't have to think about that. But yeah, school, that's one. Sorry, not, not trying to, that was a humble brag, sorry. Um, yeah, I was thinking, different things that we go into debt for, and we think about the weight that hangs over our shoulders. Like, I was trying to think, like, I also thought of, um, this is less real to you guys, but you remember that time that you made a deal with Davy Jones, like Jack Sparrow did? to raise the black pearl, and Davy Jones said, you can have the black pearl for, what was it, 20 years, and then I'm coming back for you, and then he comes back for him, and he says, here, you can have this black spot, I'm, I'm just giving you the whole plot from Pirates of the Caribbean too, because, because, but, but, like, that's the whole, the whole idea of Jack's whole, whole struggle in Pirates of the Caribbean too is he's accrued this debt, like, your life for 20 years captaining the black pearl, and, and, and he, get, and he ha- ends up with this black spot on his hand saying, your debt is due. And the whole movie, that debt is just kind of weighing on Jack. It's just kind of sitting on his shoulders, this fear that he's coming to collect via a kraken, obviously, as you do. I'm sure that the master in this story also had a kraken. Sorry. Maybe the great fish in Jonah was a kraken. <laughs> Sorry. That'd be a really awesome retelling of that story. Anyways. So what's the point that he's saying? So, so you have this great debt accrued. It's weighing on your shoulders. Because this guy owed, like in our terms, billions and billions of dollars. And that master forgives him. He says, you know what? I realize this is not something you're ever going to repay. He was going to go sell he and his family into slavery to repay the debt, which was common in how you would do that. Like if you took out a loan and you couldn't pay it back, 
you and your family would probably get sold into some sort of slavery where you would work off that debt until you pay it off and then you're released again. And so he's, he, it's, it, he's originally suggesting some sort of means by which he could at least make an attempt at paying it off, but, but when he sees him pleading with him, he has mercy on him. He has compassion on him. He would rather, he would rather see him not in this position of angst. He, 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 loves, the, he loves him and he, he fears for his family, I guess, enough that he's willing to let go of an insane amount of money that he is owed. Right? An insane amount of money that he's owed. So this guy is freed. He's, he's out from under the weight of that debt and he goes to his friend who owes him money. How much money does that guy owe him? Has anybody done any calculations? The guy owed him about $4,000. $4,000, which, okay, let's be honest. If I said right now, I'm going to take $4,000 from you, every single one of you would be like, that's a lot of money. So I don't want to make the point that this guy owed him nothing. This is a significant amount of money, probably based on what that guy has. However, when you look at that debt compared to the billions of dollars that this man was just forgiven, these two things do not even compare. We have to understand the difference in that scale. $4,000 is significant, but it is nothing compared to what he's just been forgiven by his master. So the first point that Jesus is trying to make to Peter when he's talking about why you should forgive somebody so many times is that we should forgive because we have already been forgiven so much. And that's the reaction that the master has when the other servants tell him what's happened. And he brings, it, he, he brings the servant to him and he says, what did you not, you didn't learn from what I, I just forgave this huge debt that you couldn't even imagine. And you can't even let this guy off the hook for $4,000? For what, a couple months pay? You owed me like 10 lifetimes more than that. A hundred lifetimes worth of pay. More than that. Fine. A lot. And yet, you can't let go of two, three months pay for this guy? You should forgive because you've already been forgiven. Like, because we just sang this, right? Look what God has done. Like, that, the whole idea of that song is look back at what he's done so that we can appreciate it so that we can live our lives in a certain way in light of what Jesus has already accomplished. Look at how much you have already been forgiven. Here's the one thing we know that sin does with our relationship to God. We can't be in communion with God. We are, we are 100%, we are completely severed from Him because of sin. There is no communion with God. The fact that He forgives our sin and welcomes us back is the greatest pardon, is the greatest gift that we could be given. There is nothing more valuable than salvation in all of creation. And if we could realize the value, the weight that that carries, how much has been lifted off of our shoulders, think about the greatest debt that you've accrued. Think maybe, it, like we said, maybe it's your house, maybe it's your college tuition, whatever it may be. Whatever that thing is, 
Think of how freeing it would be to not be under that anymore. Think about, think about what you would be able to accomplish if that was not a thing that you continued to be held back by. And now take that and multiply it by about a billion or more. That's the amount of weight that's been lifted off of our shoulders as we are being forgiven. So why wouldn't we also desire to forgive our brother when they sin against us and they repent, even if it's over and over and over again? Because I guarantee you, God didn't forgive us all this one time, and that was the last time that we sinned. I guarantee you that we continually have been frustrating to him. I mean, just think through, just think through God's relationship with Israel in the Old Testament. When he called them out, he made them a new nation. He made them a people. He welcomed them into his presence. He came down and lived among them. And imagine just how frustrating his relationship with them was through the whole Old Testament, as they continue to like, yeah, we're in this with you, God, and then, you know what, we're going to go check out this God too, because he seems kind of cool, or, you know what, we kind of want to look like this nation, maybe we'll go over here, or, you know what, we haven't heard from you in a while, obviously we need a golden calf, right? This, this is God's relationship with his people, but what does he continue to do? He continues to love them, he continues to forgive them, and he continues to welcome them back to himself. The book of Judges is a perfect example of this, where, where the people continually fall into sin, and God continually rescues them. They repent, and he forgives them. Maybe that should be one of our examples for, for what, how many times are we supposed to forgive. Look at how many times God keeps forgiving us. Look at how many times God keeps pursuing us, and he keeps reconciling us to himself. So because of what he has done... We should be changed by that. And we should become people who forgive as God forgives. Because here's, here's, here's the big point. Our willingness to forgive or not forgive reveals our heart state. It's the exact same point that I made at the end of last week. Right? When we talked about when you're going to your brother to, to, to call them to repentance. If they continue not to repent. If they continue to want to just reside in their sin and just stay there what they're doing is actually revealing their heart state. They're revealing themselves to not be saved. They're revealing themselves to not truly know who Jesus is and not have been changed. And I think what we're seeing is it's the same thing. We see how the master responds when his servant doesn't forgive this other servant's debt. He, he grabs him. And, and, and before, you know, we talked about he was going to sell him into like, he was going to sell him into slavery to help repay his debt. But, but the wicked servant throws the other servant into prison which is not a place where you can really earn lots of money, which is not a place where you can pay off a debt. This is kind of like the permanent, I don't ever want to hear from you ever again, it's over kind of solution, which is ultimately what the master does to the, to the wicked servant. He takes him and he throws him into prison where now you can't even work off your debt. Now you're just there forever. This has permanently revealed your heart state. You had been offered this forgiveness, but yet you were unchanged by it. You don't have a new heart. You don't have new desires. You don't have a desire to forgive and love your brother and be reconciled to them as a result. We can't, be, we, can't, we can't see this forgiveness that's being offered to us by Jesus and not be changed. 
if we aren't being impacted by what, by what Christ has done for us, then obviously our hearts have not been changed by it. The mercy that was shown on the first servant should have changed him dramatically. And as a result, and, and this is the thing, this is, this is the scary part, right? Uh, verse, I'll just start in verse 33. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is the warning. This is the thing that you should be terrified by. If you don't get it, if you don't, if you don't understand forgiveness and then forgive yourself, if you're not really in this, if you're not really saved, the, the result of this, the, the punishment, the, the response to this by God is permanent, is forever. That's it. Like, there's no coming back from that in this example. So instead, let's, let's, let's think about what the forgiveness that we've been offered really means, what it really looks like. Let's, let's, try, to, let's try to go dig into the Bible and see what it looks like when God restores people who've gone very, very far from him. People who have sinned in, in, in horrible ways and the fact that he, that he restores him. I mean, I think, like, like, I jokingly referenced Jonah earlier, but, like, I'm thinking, like, Jonah didn't even want to go talk to these people because of the wickedness, because he knows, if I go talk to you, these guys, you're going to forgive them. I don't want you to forgive them. They're bad people. I want you to wipe them off the face of the earth. But God wants us. He comes after us. He sends people to us so that we can know you need to repent. And when we do, he does. And we need, we need to look through all of these examples, all of these places in Scripture where somebody is so far from God and yet God is willing and faithful to restore them. And we need to appreciate that same forgiveness that's been offered to us so that we can, in a sense, so that we can get it and we can forgive people like that. Because, because once we have an accurate picture of what salvation did for us, once we have a realistic understanding of what forgiveness for our sins and restoration to God really meant, then it's going to seem like nothing to forgive somebody else. There is no reason that something should linger between us and our brother or sister. There's, there's, there's nothing that anyone should be able to do that you're like, I can't get over that. There's no way that we can get past this. This is just game over on our relationship. If your brother or your sister comes to you and they are repentant, we should be able to understand what Jesus has done for us, the forgiveness that we've been offered, and thus be able to forgive them without a problem. So if you're struggling, if you're like, I don't know that I can do that, you don't know the situation, or you don't know how many times this person has put me through this, you don't know the ring, the hoops that I'd have to jump through, to, to, to rebuild this relationship. Think about what this person's done. There's no way that they deserve this. Who are we to say who can and cannot be forgiven? Who are we to say who is and who's not sincere? Who are we to say 
that as recipients of God's forgiveness, that someone's less worthy of that forgiveness than we are? Here's the real question. Who are we to think that we ever actually deserved it to begin with? Because that's the real joy of salvation. That's the real real joy in the gospel, is that we did not deserve it. We still do not deserve it. We continue to not be worthy of the salvation that we've been given. But God, who is rich in mercy, is willing to forgive us of all of the things that we do that, that constantly counteract him, fight against him, are constantly trying to pull glory away from him and to ourselves. And we do not deserve to be saved. We don't deserve to have God forgive us. There's nothing that we can do that can make it right. But yet God loves us. And yet God wants to see us restored. So I hope that for those of us who are in Christ, that we will really try to lock in, um, understand, appreciate what salvation means for us, what real forgiveness looks like for us. And as such, be willing to forgive even those who we think there is no path to forgiveness right now. There's no way I can get over this. There's no way I can let this go. Because there's no reason that you should, be in the, you, should, you should receive salvation to begin with. There's no reason that we should have it. There's no reason that I should be in a place where I can stand up here and I can say these things. These are things just as much for me as they are for you. Because I am equally undeserving of all of this. For those of you who aren't in Christ, for those of you who aren't saved yet, who don't really understand what forgiveness is, let me tell you one more time, I'm not saying that you have to do something to earn this. There's nothing that any of us have done to earn this. God offers you salvation because he wants to offer you salvation. Not because you deserve it, but because he is loving and because he is merciful and he is a God of grace. So I'm I'm praying this morning, in just a second, I'm going to pray that God's going to get a hold of your heart and that you're going to understand what this offer of forgiveness looks like and that you're going to desire to to chase after him and understand what that means for you. And then in turn, all of our hearts will be changed and we will be the kind of people who desire reconciliation, unity in the body of Christ, higher than any other thing that could keep us separated. So let's pray.